You think you're doing okay when out of the blue it hits a vague uneasiness, a nagging awareness that something isn't right. You're waking up in the middle of the night or you're snapping at your spouse. You miss people, but you don't call them. Fear, loneliness, uncertainty, or some other aspect of the pandemic and the changes you've had to make is getting to you. The pandemic directly affects everyone's lives and for some, the threat feels even greater because there's no clear end in sight and the trauma is compounded by financial stresses, the ongoing political divisions of the last several years, she says. I think all of this is really having a profound mental health effect on the population. A Yale Medicine quote. Thank you for joining us on another Echo podcast. This week, we sit down and discuss with Cindy Finch. She is a therapist and coach based in Southern California. She is a published author and adjunct professor at Pepperdine University in the Graduate School of Psychology. She lives and works in Irvine, California, with a book on growth through grief releasing in 2021. What we love about Cindy Finch here at Echo Church is her honesty, her love for the Lord, and she's a good friend of Pastor Andy and Christy Cass. There's a stigma about mental health and wellness, and Mm -hmm. especially in the church, you know, I'm just going to say it off the bat, a lot of you know, um, faith-based communities take what I call the spiritual bypass with this kind of stuff, where if there's, you know, somebody struggling or depressed or feeling suicidal, you know, to be honest, people will say, well, we'll pray for you or we'll pray about it. We're going to trust God, which I love. I mean, those are the elements of our faith. But then they often will see actually seeking help as a weakness. So, you know, we're all willing to give the hallelujah, amen, but you know, some if your kid broke his leg on the soccer field, we're not going to be like, oh, you know, we'll pray about it. Like you take him to the emergency room. So that's just my thought on, you know, sometimes we have a little disservice going on. But that's just my, my opinion. I mean, I've seen it happen. And people don't realize that we need mental health support the exact same way. And it needs to be integrative alongside our faith. I was listening to another podcast recently and they said, you yourself may not be dealing with a mental health or mental illness. However, there's someone within your household or someone in your close or inner circle. So with that said, do you have statistics or some things you could share with us maybe before 2020 or just specifically with 2020 of what our current state of the entire world looks like right now? Yeah, for sure, Catherine. And, uh, Hey, everybody, my dog is finding something interesting outside my window. So there's Bella saying hello to you guys. So, you know, um, first of all, let me just say that the entire nation is actually going through a collective sustained trauma. So it'll, it'll be interesting and enlightening for us to see how it plays out in post-traumatic stress disorder over the next coming years. Uh, But for instance, there have been so much distress in communities since the beginning of March that in my area, I live in Southern California, I was looking at the um, crisis hotline for suicidal thoughts for people who are feeling like they no longer want to live. And in February, that crisis line had 20 calls. And by the end of March, they had 1,800 And so I don't know, what is that, like a 900% increase? And that just shows you where 
the country is at as far as people feeling overwhelmed enough to say, I may not want to live anymore. Like not just like I'm handling some stress, but nationally, we look at the National Alliance of Mental Illness and, you know, they are an organization that is funded for every state by the federal government and they field all kinds of calls. Um, they hold classes, they support families struggling with mental illness. And when we look at their numbers, they've had a 65% increase for call and help across the nation. And that has stayed sustained over these last eight months. And so that's a crazy off the hook number. Yeah. And that's just those that are calling in for help and those that are like aware and acknowledging it. Right. In some communities I've read, you know, that people who are more vulnerable, like for instance, people of color, that there was actually a 50 to 80% increase in children who are Black, African-American actually committing suicide. And if those numbers don't scare us for our own community, it's like, wow. There was an article in the Washington Post that was like a 911 call to therapists saying there's going to be a landslide of mental health problems for the next two to three years, if not longer, and that therapists need to be ready for it. That's insane. How do you then as a therapist prepare yourself or, you know, you have the teaching, you have the knowledge, you have the tools. So for yourself, I can imagine the like sense of being overwhelmed, but then for someone like myself or even pastors of community or business owners, like how do you how do you not take that and feel like you're drowning? Well, one of the things is we're actually built for resilience. We're built to overcome things. Like one of my favorite words in, in society is the word survivor. And everything about us wants to survive. We want to make it through for the most part. But I was talking to a chaplain friend of mine in Chicago, and he said, you know, Cindy, I, I love this content and I want to bring it to my parishioners. But to be honest, my chaplain friends and I really need this first because there was literally no class in seminary called pandemic, called massive layoff, called, you know, nationwide riots, alongside also being separated from all of our congregants. Like, it's the first time for people where we need each other so much because things are so tough and we're being kept away from each other at the same time. So I think for me, doing these kinds of podcasts and doing the work I do and also leaning on my, you'll see later, I, I shared um, uh, the big five ends that I think people need to focus on. So that's how I manage and tolerate the storyline we're all living through right now. That's very helpful and encouraging to look inward first and to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and being honest with ourselves, which it's not easy, even though, you know, there's the isolation and things are at a standstill. It's not easy to stop and say, is this thought really, am I applying it to my own self? Am I really thinking these things? And then acknowledging that you are, and then you, you know, next step, you speak it out loud or you go and you talk to someone. How do you talk about it? Well, yeah. you know, talking about it on social media can be helpful, but it's not always safe for the person you know, who might be struggling with anxiety that, it, that has jumped the border so much that it's become panic attacks. And so social media is a great way to bring us together and, 
you know, help us kind of um, support each other and stay connected. But it may not be a good remedy for that, especially because people judge, people can cancel you out. And, you know, those things to me are, are pretty tender when we're dealing with things that are that big. And so that's where I would say like locking arms with somebody to walk alongside you through that. I, I uh, went through a season of life where I was having panic attacks, like, I don't know if this is overshare, but like six or seven a day. And I thought I was going to lose my mind, but it was really my body's messaging and my mind's messaging that I needed to do something different. I needed to attend to my, my own care. The thing that gets in the way, and you kind of spoke to this earlier, Catherine, you said, how does somebody like you who has this knowledge, like really take care of yourself and also help others? So one of my answers would be is that I, uh, I can't give anybody what I don't have that I haven't done myself. And in a, you know, I lived in Rochester for eight years and in a city like Rochester, you know, you guys are like, world-class helpers and healers but there seems to be this wall that comes up for people and even in the church I'd rather be and I'm supposed to be the helper and not the helped right and so then that block actually Mm -hmm. keeps us from getting what we need so we can move forward and then we get stuck Mm -hmm. and then we can't help anybody The statistics aren't changing or they're not, you know, they're not going down. They're not decreasing. Suicide is rampant all over the United States. Alcohol, drug abuse, marriages, like how, when you look at all of those things and those like negative things, how can we then, you know, have hope or have a mindset change or say to someone, you know, I'm not just saying this for attention, but I need help. I don't. I don't want to just enjoy my life or yeah, everything's great. Everything's perfect. But like, I need understanding or I need your compassion. Like, how would you tell someone that is struggling with anxiety or alcohol abuse or within their marriage that they can't, you know, like I, I, I'm absolutely that way too. You know, you, I'll let people close, but then I have a very stiff arm of like, no, that's close enough. So how would if you're telling me, like, how would I say, no, come a little closer, obviously with boundaries and those things, but how could we, yeah, encourage the church and those in the community of Rochester to, to let people in when they are struggling? You know, I, I think, first of all, podcasts like this one, and then also normalizing that I don't have everything within myself that I need. For instance, for parents out there, when you wanted your kids to learn how to swim, You literally did not take them down to the swimming pool and teach them all the strokes and the breathing. You actually hired a swim instructor, right? And then when they needed to learn physics, unless there's a few of you that could just teach that, but you, you know, they were in AP physics. So they were working with a a dedicated on, on par professional for a short period of time to learn the skill set and then move on and take their next steps. So first, and I know in this podcast, I'm not going to be able to overcome all of the, all of the internal beliefs and objections to mental health care. That's just so ingrained in us because people think if I seek help, I'm weak. But I mean, I literally just busted that myth. My kid doesn't know how to swim. I don't want them to drown in the, in the lake. So I'm going to get them a swim teacher, put them in swim class. 
So this type of stuff is exactly the same. It's a set of skills that people just have not taught us. That's it. It's a set of skills. And, you know, emotional intelligence, really, I find so, I have so many clients in my practice that have high IQs, they're very successful, that the director of this, the leader of that, their IQ is off the charts, but their emotional intelligence does not match. It's low. And so this goes on in church where people can quote scripture, they love God and they're following him, and that's absolutely amazing, but they can't understand thought distortions or toxic beliefs or how to identify signs and symptoms of mental illness and risk. So it's really about learning emotional intelligence. Despite what you believe politically, I love this quote by the vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris. She says, a problem shared is a problem halved. And so when I share what's going on with a safe, trusted someone else who can contain it with me, then I can lighten my load and move on quicker to my next steps cut it in half when I can share it with somebody. And then I can get on with my life if I understand, if I educate myself about it and get that set of tools. We're going to pause here for a minute. Maybe stop doing the dishes or pull your car over as you're listening to this and ask yourself, who in your life is a healthy, trusted individual that you can speak up or share what's going on? A simple call into a telehealth therapist or a recommended counselor from a friend or loved one. The quote Cindy references is powerful and I believe speaks volumes on how God wants us to live, not alone, not isolated, and to find true healing and freedom in Him. No one is perfect and no time will ever be the right time to seek help or guidance, yet one honest conversation with yourself, the Lord, and hopefully a close friend or two will be just the very beginning steps for healthier mentality. Getting people to hear you is so different than applying it to their life. You know, like I can absolutely relate to the swim lesson thing because we just did it this summer. And it was great and it was awful trying to get our two-year-old to learn how to swim. So I think of like us as adults or, you know, we have teens or, you know, in our marriages, it's like that you can take them to swim lessons. But then, you know, sometimes I feel like a toddler kicking and screaming and I don't want to go underwater. You know, I don't want to face, I don't want to face what's really going on or, you know, what I feel like I really need to like think about. So I like that sense of like within echo in our culture and our community. The biggest thing is having community and getting together and meeting face to face. And, you know, even if you feel like you have it all together, that you still need that other person, like you're saying, you know, like you need someone that's safe and trusted. So what? Well, they know the language, like they know the language. So, so I had this interesting experience when I was working at Methodist hospital, I, I went in and There was a couple there, and she had been fighting cancer. They were both believing that God was going to heal her, so they were refusing treatment. So on during the week, next week or two, so she died because they said, we're just going to trust God. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And maybe they did. Maybe that was God's ultimate plan. At the same time, like the highest possible end cancer treatments were sitting in the very next room. And because they had a belief system about how life should be, 
they chose not to use those tools and those remedies. So they believed it was going to be a certain way. So what you're talking about is how I like to talk about mental health. Look, nobody cares about mental health, really, to be honest, unless there's a problem disrupting their life. And here's how it does it. Our relationships. So if our relationships are erratic or explosive or there's somebody that's using drugs and alcohol or there's somebody being abused or maligned or there's somebody threatening suicide or there's somebody who can't get out of bed or there's somebody who feels derailed by life and it begins to affect their marriage, their parenting, their jobs, their friendships. That's when people really tune in because it's affecting my sphere, right? But wait, there's another block. When I come to realize that I'm not happy, I'm not balanced, I'm not okay, and all the things I thought I believed and was taught really don't seem to be like holding water for me, here's what I do. I want to blame someone else. Well, if this person just wouldn't do that, and if this person had only done this, and if they hadn't made that choice. So I get lost in this world of denial about what the truth is, because here's the truth. I only have control over myself. So I have to take personal responsibility in order to make change. But I don't actually have to take personal responsibility. I can just let things keep playing out and then it'll stay in this really rough cycle. It's easier to just continue on unless, I mean, unless someone completely calls you out. I mean, I, I've always valued you in that of your confidence and your ability to kindly have confrontation. And I feel like that's something that we also are missing in the culture in the Midwest of just the ability to confront and to nicely say, Hey, are you okay? Or yeah, and it's okay if you're not okay, you know, like let's talk or let's chat. And then to hold that space for the person that isn't okay. And, you know, sometimes it is opening something much larger than you expect, but I like that how it is our own responsibility. And then it's identifying that. And I'm sure there's a process and steps of moving forward once we have identified that. And with, you know, I just, I still can't get over the statistics that you shared and just the increase of the United States. And if that alone isn't going to wake us up, I'm not sure what is. I'll tell you what's going to wake us up is actually when it affects our lives. Hmm, Yeah. You know, like I I had put in that note because you're so right, Catherine, that It was an emergency room doctor at Presbyterian Hospital in New York that killed herself in April, like four weeks after COVID erupted there. And she had already been really burned out, really low on energy, had some personal struggles. And then COVID hit and her ability to cope and her infrastructure, her internal fortitude, she ran out of hope. She ran out of resources. And so when those types of things happen, that mobilizes us. And yet, as a practitioner, I want to prevent those types of things. I don't want people to get the wake-up call of that we better do something here because our loved one died. I don't want to experience that either. You know, I don't want it to be too late or to not see this flag or that sign or that, to not discount the things that people are saying around me, I think is really important and it's so much easier to be selfish with my time and selfish with, which I know, yeah, there's a balance. It's okay to be selfish, but that sense of 
Andy recently had a um, sermon on Rahab and just how he said one small act of kindness can save lives. And I think the act of kindness we often forget is just sitting and listening. And, you know, even if it's two extra minutes with for myself as a person at Starbucks when I'm going almost every day or, you know, just to hold that space under a masked face and just, yeah, I've seeing this last week, just being out and about how people still want that, like, hello and that wave. Oh, we miss it so much. Yeah, Yeah, there's a process of neuroregulation that happens. When I'm in your presence and you're in mine, we mirror each other and we can actually help regulate each other's emotions. Hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. so crucial. And it's one of the reasons, because we're isolated right now, while people feel extra discouraged or despair. Because of, and, and that's kind of winter months too, you know, unless yeah. we're intentional and able to get together. We don't, we're not having the co-regulation of our community around us. Yeah, that's a great point. And even in some friendships, I've, you know, that boundary or that line of asking if everything's okay. And I think exactly what you're saying is that we don't know how, how to identify what we're feeling until something traumatic happens. And I know you had mentioned that everyone is going through trauma and everyone is experiencing some level of it. And so with that said, would you like to talk us through your big five? Absolutely. So there's things that put us more at risk for mental health struggles. And these are literally risk factors. So one of them is, you know, coming um, isolation. Other ones is poverty. Other ones are coming, you know, having a genetic predisposition toward it. And then another one is just the high amount of vulnerability we have in this pandemic. Like everybody is on thinner ice right now. Other risk factors include coming from a background of child abuse or neglect or losing a, losing a parent early. So trauma, basically. So when I have those vulnerabilities going on, I'm more likely to experience mental health disruptions. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of like finding the right tool for the right job. But I like to talk about protective factors, and these are things that literally can protect me from succumbing to those vulnerabilities, or even if I do succumb, that it's not as bad or as for as long. So I've tried to boil it down. By the way, can I just say before we go on that I thought it was hilarious during the pandemic that there was no toilet paper and no hand sanitizer and no soap and no thermometers anywhere to be found on Amazon, at the grocery store, but there was plenty of booze. And I was like, those shelves were never empty. So I just want to put that out there because many people use drugs and alcohol, have used, will use, are using as a way to manage and tolerate the storyline of what's happening around us right now. And as a culture, we were very able to source them with that somehow, but not toilet paper. So as we talk about risk factors and protective factors, I just want to say up front that drugs and alcohol, while I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade, but they actually make us more vulnerable to our risk factors. So one of the the takeaways here is if you tend to be a person, and we all tend to be that right now, who's struggling a little bit. Using those things in moderation um, will help you because they're depressants or they're psychotics or whatever. The first one is nature. So this is going to seem like an oversimplification, 
And maybe for you guys, because I know during those four months of five months of spring and summer, like everybody's out at the lake, out at the Mm -hmm. everywhere walking. But nature is actually really therapeutic. And there's some exchange between us and trees and us and gardening that is really soothing for the soul. So here, all of our mountains are on fire around here and we've got smoke hanging in the air. So like we have to go down to the park or the beach, but boohoo for us, right? We, I'm just going to go nature bathe at the beach. We actually call it forest bathing here. So okay. we're in California silly. The next one is nurture. So this is the idea of nurturing yourself with something called self-compassion. And people like to reject, they like to post on Instagram about self-compassion, but then find it very hard to dial it in and actually have a kind, gentle, supportive voice with ourselves. A lot of people use shame and criticism as a motivator to get things done, but they're really tearing down their internal infrastructure when they do that. So nurture yourself with self-compassion and then allowing others to care for you, kind of to your point of being in the grocery store, making eye contact, calling the friend, showing up and saying, I don't have it all together. Can you guys rally around me for a minute? And like the neuroregulation piece we talked about. And then the next one, this is to your, your earlier statement about emotion regulation. Man, emotions are a trip. They can throw us into some ways of thinking where the worst really feels true. So my third N is neutral. Find a way to put the clutch in and shift into neutral in your head sometimes. Okay, because a lot of us are running very anxious thoughts. A lot of us are ruminating over and over, or we're judging. So getting into neutral, you know, I want you to find things where you can lose yourself in it, not just Netflix. So this is like music, dancing, singing, meditating. Really, this would be building the muscle of your mind as a way to be able to thought stop and you know, our minds are like naughty little puppies. If you've, have you guys ever had a new puppy? Not yet, but I mean... We've got two of them at toddler. home right now. A toddler, yes. Feels the same. Puppies running around. <laughs> exactly. So if you ever have a new puppy, like if you don't put that puppy on a leash and have a crate for him, he's going to go around biting the cattail, running out the front door, chewing the electric cord, making messes... So having an untrained mind is exactly like having an untrained dog, right? That it's going to drag you around to places you don't need to be. So you've got to learn to put your mind on a leash and like crate it up and have constraints for it. So this is getting into neutral. In moments of when he's really upset or angry or doesn't know how to communicate what's going on, the book had talked about getting him to laugh or, and is that just the way that his brain's developing? So that way it was saying that if he's, if you're in that state of anger, high emotions, you're not able to think clearly. So it sounds like similar to what you're saying, or you're not able to stop yourself or receive maybe help or discipline or information is that kind of the same thing of like changing that thought pattern so to speak yeah changing the narrative getting out of polluted thinking like for instance cognitive distortions people will get into distorted thinking and it rules them it rules them 
One of the distortions I heard a lot during the intense part of the riots, if I can go there for a minute, is that okay? Especially during May, June, July, was if you're not with us, you're against us. Yeah. And so that's actually a thought distortion, but it sounds like it should be true. Like people really wanted that to be true because it had a lot of bite to it. Yeah. And in, because we're in a political election cycle right now, I also hear a lot of distortions, you know, that one candidate is all bad, all evil, and that the other one is like a savior. But the actual truth is there's truth on both sides of the political camps. And so all or nothing thinking, black or white thinking, like things are either right or wrong. You're in or you're out. You're good or you're bad. What happens is, is it does exactly what you're talking about with your oldest son is it clenches us into a mind state where we're we're locked into a corner with the way we think. Mm. So if one person doesn't like me, the world is over. If my parents have a different political view than me, they're terrible. They don't understand me. Right. And so people get really hijacked into an emotional brain, like your son when he was angry and you guys were just like, okay, let's bring that down because he has his brain's been hijacked by emotion and his words can't keep up. And what you're saying with that, like right or wrong or black or white thinking or this way or that way, it's amazing that it's become so acceptable. You don't even want to even challenge it. So even as you're speaking, I'm thinking, Well, yeah, and that is a lot. That is how a lot of the world runs and is, and it's, why is it that way? It doesn't need to be. And yet we do get ourselves stuck, not in just politics or this way or that way, but we're not willing to, you know, walk in someone else's shoes or share compassion. See things from the other side when really there's a negative truth in the other person's feelings and thoughts. And you could even think, you know, when your son was, overwhelmed and shutting down and emotional like he felt like maybe and I know he's a little guy but we've all been like this like nothing else is true but what I feel Hmm. but really there's two loving parents standing right there saying buddy we're gonna help you yeah like this this feels true in this exact second but really there's this whole other array of things that are also true at the same time right so so in politics it's true Things are very difficult right now. And here's the other thing that's true. It won't always be like this. It hasn't always been like this. Presidents come and go. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our country has been through far worse and made it out. And then the ultimate one, what I'm going to move into is my next N is North. Find your true North. So, and here's why I want to bridge that that way. When I'm a person that is anchored into something bigger than myself, a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning, my relationship with God. I am anchored into things that are less likely to shift on me, right? But if I anchor into politics or if I anchor into a a certain way of seeing the world in all or nothing terms, like that stuff is probably going to slide out from underneath me. It's going to change. But when I find my true north, like for the Christian, The truth is the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He's going to turn it whatever way he wants it to go. So in politics, I can trust that no matter what I believe or who I vote for or who my family follows, that ultimately this is all up to God. And I can trust and find peace in that little area right there. 
I have found my true north. I follow God no matter what happens around me and that I'm on his plan, his path with me. I am rooted into him and things are going to constantly shift around me. That's going to be a constant. Change is the only constant when you're in this world. But I don't have to root into a cause or a trend as much because God ultimately holds my past, my present, and my future. So rooting into a true north, something that is bigger than you, that's not going to change, it's transformative for our mental health, our spiritual well-being, for our relationships, because we're not so easily thrown off in life. We have more staying power, more traction. You know, he is unchanging, and I like that, how you've labeled it as finding north and often, I don't know where North is. So it's such right? a, it's such it a simple thing. But yeah, it's, it's a good encouragement of, you know, stopping, getting into neutral, and then finding that North. No, I love yeah. that. You got to find something to put the clutch in. You got to put the clutch in on some of this. So the next one is, what's next? And, and mm-hmm. here's why this one's important. Having a future orientation in some of this stuff that we're going through right now, you got to have it because if not, I'm going to get lost in what's happening around me. I'm going to feel like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Why should I even get up tomorrow? How can I even trust people? What am I even doing here? I mean, this is just such a downward spiral. If I don't have something that's pulling me to get out of bed, somebody that's counting on me, some dream, you know, dream a little dream here. Like what's your dream? I have, I have so many friends who've had this pandemic hit and they have had their way of life disrupted like no one else. But when, when they were able to kind of like, okay, get some traction in what's happening, they've been able to shift and actually move with what's going on and take their next steps that they never thought they were going to be taking because of this pandemic. So it's like, it's kind of powerful when you have a future orientation that what's next for me, change always comes bearing gifts. Yeah, that's good. And That's interesting that your friends are saying that too, like this or that wouldn't happen without the pandemic, you know, whether you want to say it's been a gift or a curse. I think, you know, the trauma and the tragedy that's going on around, I don't know, like in your profession, would, would that, do you think it's just been compounded? Like, I don't know, I guess that sense of like things that people are dealing with now, maybe they would be dealing with it. You know, you can't, predict it, but in five or 10 years instead. So it's kind of just being like fast forwarded of like, okay, you need to deal with this now. It's such a a controversy, controversial way of thinking, but I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like, remember when we had that really terrible thing happen in Minneapolis where that bridge collapsed? Yes. Okay. So awful, right? So that bridge probably needed to be repaired before then. Yes, absolutely. Right? It wasn't Mm -hmm. until it actually collapsed and people died that they're like, oh, let's fix that. Now, I'm not calling anybody out. I don't even know the legality of what all went down after that. But this year has been like a bridge year for a lot of people. And it's really come in and really tested like what infrastructure people have, what coping mechanisms, what beliefs, what internal fortitude, what faith they have. So it's been a whole year of us being able to look really soberly about the truth of who we are and this life. You know, Rick Warren says, God is way more interested in your character than your comfort. So he's not about making you comfortable. I used to be under the distorted thought that God was going to bless me. I was going to do all these things right. Then I'm going to get a blessed life out the other side, like God's a vending machine. Not so. 
not so he's um he is um he has us all in the uh, in the potter's wheel and he's turning up the fire and he's making us more like Christ and that's very uncomfortable his the big takeaway with god i don't know if you can call it like say god has takeaways but he has some pretty good bottom lines yeah and the and the big one with god is like i'm not going to take you out of it i'm going to leave you in it but i'm going to be with you yeah my presence is the is the change maker there not your situation wow it's powerful yeah, it's, it's easy to forget that, you know, he doesn't want you to be comfortable per se, but he's focused on your character. That's a great takeaway. Just not easy to hear, right? But I mean, how comfortable that is to know, in a sense, play on words of that he is with us. So I've realized also in this season that as humans, we have expectations on each other and on people when he's saying, hello, I'm right here. I'm in your face. Why am I not enough? And, you know, I think that's a very powerful takeaway that we can have of he is with us and we need to remember that. And I think even for myself personally, acknowledge that, okay, you are here with me. I may not see you. I may not feel you. I may not understand, but I'm going to have a little bit of hope and a little bit of belief and faith that you are here and you are with me. And I think that's amazing encouragement so i really appreciate you sharing that and reminding us of that as an aside though god's not going to do the work for us oh yeah so it's nature get out in in it forest bathing go outside do whatever you can nurture social connection also giving yourself self-compassion Neutral, finding a way to get yourself into that neutral mindset, finding your true north, and then what's next for you. So asking yourself, what is next? And for some of us, it could even be getting up and out of bed and calling a friend or sending a text message, or even bigger than that of, well, what is next for my life? And looking within, you know, it's not focusing on your marriage or your children, but really asking yourself what's next. Yeah, absolutely. So the scripture says that God sits inhabited in the praises of his people. One of the best ways, and this will be so native to to people listening on the Echo podcast, is um, I call them adult lullabies. My favorite one to listen to, to soothe my mind, literally to regulate my emotions is Fernando Ortega, Jesus King of Angels. It's this really sing-songy, very mild song that talks about God protecting me through the night, taking care of me. It's very, like, um, comforting. So one of the best ways to get your mind in a neutral is worship, all right? Or like I say, the adult lullaby, something that's going to come in and soothe. The other way is something called four-square breathing, and people can look this up. It's actually a way some military personnel use to settle themselves. I want to say the Navy SEALs, but it's breathing in, holding for four, breathing out for four, pausing for four, but following a square. You guys will have to look that one up. I don't have a really good example of that right now, but deep breathing and following the breath. The other thing to get into neutral is to actually have a mantra. And I don't mean to sound too new agey like that, but like two of my favorite mantras are that God has a plan And then that's the phrase that I focus my mind on over and over. God has a plan. God has a plan. I call those breath prayers. 
And yet the other mantra is the way out is through. Yeah, those are really good tips. And I will definitely look them up myself and encourage those listening to do the same. I just want to say thank you. And is there anything else you want to say? I know we've talked about a lot and I'm hoping that we can take it and not feel too overwhelmed, but just look at things in little steps. And I, all of those five things are very practical and very helpful. And if people want to learn more about you, they can at cindyfinch.com. That's correct. Yeah. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. Well, I think people should take the five ends, pick one out and make an appointment with a coach, a therapist, a mentor, a pastor, or a friend and say, I'm trying to implement these into my life. Can you uh, check in, check up on me sometime with this stuff and take yourself to swimming class? That's awesome. That's great. Thank you so much, Cindy. Uh, you're welcome. Wow, what a conversation. Thank you again, Cindy, for taking your time and sharing your expertise and wisdom with us. Here at Echo Church, we want you to know that we are listening. We are reading your emails. We are here to help guide you to the right therapist, coach, or counselor. We want you to know that there are better days ahead. And before I pray for you, I just want you to know that I have lived a life of great challenges, extreme situations, wonderful blessings, and horrific tragedies all mixed together. And I hope you are able to find some comfort like I can, knowing that though God is concerned with who I am as a person and who our character is, He is also so loving, kind, gracious, and extremely patient with us. He is fighting for you and I. He sends us unexpected signs or gestures to remind us that we are seen. I dare you to try and pay attention to those. It may not be the person you want to hear from or exactly what you expected, but he knows what we need. And it could be something so simple as a genuine take care to a stranger that saves someone's life and or your own. Please don't hesitate to reach out to our team here at Echo Church via Instagram, Facebook, or send us an email at hey at wearetheecho.church. Lord, I just pray that you would just invade our hearts, our minds, our cars, our homes, our office space, wherever we may be that we're listening to this right now. Lord, I pray that we would see and feel you, that we would know that there is hope, that there is more to live for, that there are people to live for, that our own lives are worth living for, that we may find ways and tools and guidance on the right coping mechanisms, on the right conversations to have. And Lord, I pray that as we may hear or know someone that is struggling, that we would be brave enough to reach back out and say, hey, how are you? Are you still doing okay? I pray that we would not forget those that have reached out to us and asked us for prayer and asked us for listening ears. And we just invite your presence into each of our homes, our hearts, and our minds once again, Lord, in Jesus' name.